A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is the Court Today replay on C103. But yesterday, the amount, it was just one of those miserable days, miserable days, shock it awful. And there was so much rain fell. I mean, I know during the programme yesterday, we were calling out various roads that were closed or telling people to avoid certain areas. Uh, We had a road yesterday where there was two cars that got stuck in a flood and we were telling people uh, to avoid that. And then there was words of warning to say to people, there's a lot of surface water on the road to be careful uh, when you're driving. And when we came off air, then our attention was drawn to a little video clip that went up on Facebook of an old graveyard outside of Belgooli. I mean, people in the area will know this graveyard. I hadn't heard or seen of this uh, graveyard before, but it's the road outside of the graveyard had started to flood. Then, of course, as cars were driving up, they were driving through the flood and you could see the water then was being washed into the gate of the cemetery. And then as you went into the cemetery, you could see the flood water had gone into the cemetery. And it was just upsetting to see graves that were covered with flood water and I was just thinking for family members of loved ones and you know family members not all family members but a lot of family members have great respect for graveyards and cemeteries and they tend to the graves and they look after the graves I mean Sunday afternoons particularly in the summer months you'll see lots of people visiting graveyards you know to remember their loved ones but they'll you know make sure that their graves are looking nice I'm thinking I could just imagine coming in to a loved one's grave maybe on an anniversary or a birthday or just a day when you're feeling down and you know you want to remember your loved ones and to walk in and see a scene like that where the grave is completely immersed in water I mean something needs to be done to take the water off that road because I'm assuming that this isn't the first time it's happened. So we're going to be talking about that on the programme today. We're also, and we're looking for your thoughts on this now that the plebiscite has been officially announced for people in Cork City, you're going to be asked on the day of the elections for the European elections and the local elections. You're also going to be, and of course there's the referendum, you're also going to be asked to vote in a plebiscite. So people in the city, when they go in to vote, they will be getting four different pieces of paper And no matter how much we talk it up and no matter other radio stations talk it up, no matter how much it's on the paper, on the news, I guarantee you now there will still be confusion on the day when people go in to their polling station. They're going to go, what? 
what's this all about? What's this piece of paper about? Didn't hear anything about that. And added to it, we had the people that we spoke about yesterday who, as we speak today, are under the remit of Cork County Council, but because of the boundary changes, when they go in to vote, they are going to be voting in the City Council. So people, that's still going to cause confusion. People who will still think that they're in the county suddenly realising, oh no, we're under, we're, we're now under the control of the City Council. Those people are going to have four pieces of paper when they go in to vote. But one of the pieces of paper is a plebiscite. You're going to be asked, do you want to have your own directly elected mayor for Cork City? And it's a simple yes or no answer. You're not being asked to vote on your mayor at the moment. You'll be brought back again on another date into the future if the plebiscite is passed and if it is decided that Cork City is to get a directly elected mayor then I think it's in 2021 I think I saw a date people will be asked to vote for a directly elected mayor who will then stay in power until the next local elections which will be in five years time so they'll be the first directly elected mayor will be in power just for two and a half years and then it'll run to a five year year term uh, thereafter now I don't know and we'll we'll try to find out a little bit more detail if you if, if you hold the if you get elected as mayor can you go back and run a second time? I don't know what the arrangements around all of that are. But anyway, at the moment, we're just talking about the plebiscite that's going to happen. Uh, but today we're going to hear why the Fine Gael party are calling for a yes vote. They want a directly elected mayor for Cork City. So we're welcoming your uh, thoughts and comments. Is it a good move for the city? Is it something that you think we should have had This should have been introduced beforehand. They'll take over a lot of the executive powers. Yes, they will have more powers than the Lord Mayor has at the moment. Um, And then, of course, it also raises the other issue that we have spoken about before in this programme. If Cork City will have a directly elected mayor, why can't Cork County have a directly elected mayor? Michael is already in on that topic and says, Patricia, I don't agree with the Lord Mayor for Cork City only. Today we have a city mayor and we have a county mayor which divides us. Now this new mayor of the city will have more powers than the county mayor will have. There should only be one Lord Mayor of Cork as there is only one Cork, i.e. County Cork. Not us and them, says Michael. So Michael's view would be, I'm assuming, Michael, that all of us, Cork City and County, would vote in the plebiscite and we would elect one mayor. But of course, in order for that to happen, we would have to, we're, we're going back to an old an old argument, aren't we? we would, instead of the boundary, the city boundary extending out into the county, I'm assuming, Michael, you were on the camp that wanted one council for the entire city and county rather than there being a city council and a county council there would have been one Cork County Council which would have covered city and council and then you could have had a directly elected mayor huge, huge area but you certainly wouldn't have had us and them but you, you, you're, you're making a point that, that um, is worth thinking about that the, the them and the us there will be a huge difference now if this plebiscite we're assuming just let's just assume for the sake of argument that the plebiscite is passed and we do get a directly elected mayor in Cork City that directly elected mayor will be very different to the mayor that will get chosen by the councillors in the county council at the moment. They're not just ceremonial, but, you know, a lot of their positions, a lot of what they do are ceremonial uh, jobs. And actually, it's one of the questions that I have with regard to the new Cork 
city mayor, if they is a directly elected, because of course that'll be a full page job, will that mayor be expected, surely can't be expected to do all the ceremonial duties that the current city mayor and county mayor uh, does. I don't know how they're going to get around uh, that one. Anyway, thank you, Michael, for that. So is is in favour of electing a mayor but as long as that mayor is over Cork City and County, which of course can't happen because we have two separate uh, can- two separate councils. 1850 333 103. Uh, Dennis says, Patricia, we have two referendums, local European elections and some will have the plebiscite. So it'll be, there'll be five things to vote on. No, you've got me on that one. Are there two referendums? I get Champ Hall to check that. I know there's the referendum on the divorce. Is there a second referendum? If there is, you've got one on me, uh, Dennis. I'll get that uh, checked. And if you're correct, yes, that will be. There will be five uh, pieces of uh, paper. Now, we are looking at a report showing the levels of childhood poverty in this country. And, you know, you stop and think if a child is raised in poverty, what effect does it have on a child? What effect does it have on the child's Education. What effect does it have on the child's self-esteem? How does it affect that child growing up? We, you know, we've often heard of like circles of unemployment and circles of poverty that a child that's raised in poverty, if they don't get a good education, they're going to remain in uh, poverty. So we do we need to tackle poverty at the start, get in there early? But of course, in order to get children out of poverty, we need to get their parents out of poverty. So we'll be looking at this new report. And this isn't just targeted at families who are living solely on social welfare, unemployed families. We're looking at families who are going out to work every day, families who are really, really parents, who are really, really trying hard to provide for their children, but they're caught in a trap of low pay. They may be paying huge amount, even if they're not caught in a trap of low pay, they could be paying huge amount on private rent. They could be in order to get out to work. We know we've got very expensive childcare uh, costs and it can almost be like a vicious circle no matter how much they're earning. It's just it's just all the time it's going out in various bills. So we'll be looking at the numbers of children who are in poverty in this country today on the programme. And then we're going to really lighten up uh, the programme at, at about quarter to 12 this morning when I'm going to be joined in studio by band, a young band from Clonakilty called Fusion who we have discovered have signed a record deal with a UK record company and that's a big, big deal for a young band who are you know, two young teenagers to sign a record deal in the United Kingdom so we've invited them to join us in uh, studio they're going to sing uh, for us and we'll have a little bit of a chat about the band. This could be one of those bands of the future. Fusion will be a band. Remember their name and if it's your first time hearing them, remember where you heard them here on C103 that's about quarter to 12 uh, today and then after half past 12 today Joe Heffner will join us on the programme today and we are continuing to discuss burnout we were discussing this last week and talking about how people need to take a step back because burnout can, burnout can creep up on you so quickly without you even realising it. So it's to be aware of what leads to burnout and if you are heading towards burnout, what do you need uh, to do? That and more on the programme. As always, we welcome your thoughts and comments throughout the morning, 1850 333 103. And I want to get a thank you in 
to a gentleman who I don't know if he wants his name read out or not because he doesn't state it in the little note that he sent in uh, this morning. So he's a gentleman from the um, Blarney Road area of the city. That's as much as I will say so he'll know who I'm talking about. And he very kindly sent on €100 Euro for my trip to Belarus at the start of May when I'm going over to visit some of the children who would have come to the North Cork area in the summer months and who are now young adults with children of their own and I'm also going in search of some of the children who were in Marsha's orphanage who are now young adults and have managed to find the institution that they are living in and going back to check up and see how they are doing and we're also hoping to go visit one of the little baby homes there's still orphanages a baby home sounds, sounds wrong doesn't it it's uh, there for children from birth to four years of age and they're just the smallies it's real kind of heartbreaking stuff but I'm hoping really hoping against hope 20 years on from my first visit I'm going to see some kind of improvement uh, in the country of Belarus but of course Belarus so affected by the Chernobyl disaster and the radiation and the problems with radiation will be there for many many hundred years we're never going to get rid of that so we've done a little bit of fundraising we're bringing whatever money we can we can scramble up together uh, to help out sort of families that we come across and uh, people that uh, that are in need when we're over there so a very kind gentleman obviously heard me talking about it last week and has sent on 100 euros so thank you just to say that arrived safe and sound and it is a very very kind uh, gesture uh, on your behalf so thank you We were getting calls in earlier this morning about water supply in Rathpeakin uh, Irish Water we contacted Irish Water and they tell us they are working to restore water supply in Rathpeak and White's Cross area and that was due to a burst pipe so there was nothing they could do they couldn't warn anyone but they are aware of it and they are working on it and Dennis has been back about the referendum referenda uh, to say as far as I know uh, we are going to be asked to vote on non-residents voting at our presidential elections this year unless it's been removed further to later on in the year or next year like what they're doing with the women's place in the home yeah uh, you're right they initially they were due to hold two referendums on the same day the divorce one and the one which would extend the voting rights for presidential elections to Irish citizens outside of the state but somewhere along the line they have dropped the second one on the presidential election and now instead there's only the one which is the divorce one and when we go to the polls on the 26th of May we are being asked whether or not to ease the restrictions on divorce in Ireland and remove the minimum waiting period from the Constitution at the moment. The Constitution only permits a divorce where certain conditions are met and that includes that the spouses must have lived apart for four of the previous five years. The new proposals would reduce that to two years out of the previous three and it would take the waiting period out of the Constitution and the Oireachtas then would be in charge of legislating on the time period of for the divorce. Other constitutional protections dealing with divorce would remain in place if the referendum is passed. So that's what you've been asked uh, to uh, vote on nearly over two decades now since the divorce was legalised uh, in Ireland but obviously it's causing problems for people being asked to 
be separated for four out of the previous five years. So they want to reduce that to two out of the previous uh, three. Um, thank you, Dennis, uh, by the way, for your text. Inch point to point near Killa. Uh, takes place tomorrow at uh, half past one and I'm told Davy Russell the winning jockey will be there if you want to go uh, along that's inch point point in Killer tomorrow from half past one now directly elected mayors in Cork Limerick and Waterford will give the cities extra clout in securing state funding. That's according to the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar, speaking in advance of the plebiscite for directly elected mayors which will be held on May 24th. Heading up the Yes Vote campaign for the Fine Gael party is Senator Gerry Buttermer who uh, joins me. Good morning to you Gerry. Good morning Patricia. And you are welcome to the programme. Thank you for having me on again. Why do you believe Cork City needs a directly elected mayor? Well, I think, first of all, we should acknowledge that we've been well served by and large by our mayors of the county and the lower mayors of the city. And given that internationally and nationally there's a primary move towards towards the centres of population, government have decided that a directly elected lower mayor with executive functions would be the person, the champion, the advocate, the, the lower mayor to drive and, and promote, in our case, the city of Cork. As you know, government, they're ambitious for Cork. We've seen under Ireland 2040, uh, Cork being the primary growth region outside of Dublin uh, with our city to expand and a new local government structure to come in place between the city and the county. Um, and, and for us and for the city of Cork now, I think it's opportune that we would have uh, a directly elected office of Lord Mayor, which would continue with the value and the respect that we hold for the office. Um, but at the same time, uh, giving that directly elected Lord Mayor executive functions uh, which would allow that person to, you know, be the, the catalyst, be the, the, the role model, be the driver of change in the city um, uh, in tandem with a, a local authority, with a council, uh, with a resource council, working with the manager uh, of the day to, to promote uh, and, and to advocate for court. I, I think I think it's exciting, Patricia. I, I think it gives added value um to, to, the, to, the, to the position and to the city uh, because it is about ensuring that, that we plan for the future um, and we've seen uh, you know other, other jurisdictions other cities uh, which have had the benefit of having had a direct elected Lord Mayor or Mayor whether it's London or London or, or, or Manchester or in the United States or across Europe where you have a strong political voice which gives a democratic mandate to the Mayor or the Lord Mayor in okay. And will the city manager Will that role remain in place? Yeah, it'll be similar to the Secretary General of the Government Department working with the Minister, um, where you have the Executive and the, and the Political working in tandem to promote a policy agenda. Uh, that's why the, the Lord Mayor will, will, will put in place a programme, of uh, a mayor programme uh, for, for their reign. And I, I suppose what we're doing here now is we're, we're saying that the, the City Manager will have a certain role and function. We, we will be enhancing the role of Lord Mayor to be more than just a ceremonial one. And, and yes, in Cork, we have a huge value and respect in, in the role, the traditional role of the Lord Mayor. Um, but it, I think it's time now, personally, and, and government believers to have a different type of approach taken, uh, whereby the direct elected mayor will, will be able to put in place a significant work programme, working in tandem, as I said, with, with the, the executive, but also working with the council. Uh, so that for, 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 for the city, in our case of Cork, that there will be a democratic mandate which will lead to accountability, uh, which will lead to, uh, you know, a better 
uh, delivery for, for our own region. And, and I think it's an important question to be asking of the people. You're giving uh, devolved powers, you're increasing the visibility, you're allowing for a democratic decision of the people with political ac- accountability. You mentioned the ceremonial uh, duties because, you know, the directly elected mayors in both the city and the county do a huge amount of ceremonial duties. I'm assuming a directly elected mayor, will they do any of those ceremonial roles? Well, I, I would imagine that they would and, and equally you will have a deputy Lord Mayor elected who would also assist with the Lord Mayor in, 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 in carrying out the duties of the position. Um, I, I think it, it's important that we get it right, that we, we, we don't just abandon the, the position of the ceremonial Lord Mayor in terms of the, the overall policy change in terms of the position. We, as I said, the Lord Mayor of Cork has always been, as the Mayor of the county has been accessible, immersed in the people and I don't see any different. I see many different mayors across Europe and across America who are living in their communities who are very much involved in, 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 in different activities, as you said um, and it's about ensuring uh, that we have, you know, a person who will represent the, the, the city in our case, but also who will have that executive power um, and it, it isn't a panacea for everything, uh, but it's about it's about creating leadership and about being that champion, uh, as the Tornish suggested, for, for the city of Cork. And of course, the directly elected mayor would have access to central government, wouldn't they, to lobby for services and investment for the area that the current mayor really doesn't have? Well, the current mayor will have and does have, but the, I believe that the enhanced power given to the democratically elected mayor will give that person and that office a significant uh, enhancement that it doesn't have at the moment in terms of access and leverage uh, with government. I, I don't think the person who who will be the Lord Mayor, if this is successful, will be wearing a political colour. They'll be wearing the colour of Cork City in, in representing the people uh, who will want to have a programme of office uh, which would be similar to a programme for government, uh, you know, resourced from central government so that we can ensure that the programme uh, is, is a legitimate one. OK, so how long do, will the mayor be elected for? Initially, if it's successful, it'll be for two and a half years and then for a five-year term. Uh, the reason two and a half years is that if the plebiscite is carried uh, and it, 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 it's, it's government, if you like, consulting with the people, uh, there's no need to have it at plebiscite, but government t- took a wise decision, in my view, to, to engage with, with the public to do that. Uh, and then it's for two and a half years and then five years. Can the mayor run for a second term? It'll be term limited, I believe, after the, after the next five years if the person is successful after two and a half years because it would be a two-term. I think that's important in light of what we've seen emerge in other, in other areas in the last couple of weeks. There needs to be you know, accountability. There needs to be good governance. And I do believe that the person, in the case of the Lord Mayor, uh, should be term limited. Um, and I do believe that this is about you know, uh, the person being elected having... Um, in a mandate, being empowered, creating uh, political accountability. And what we have done also is that the, the mayor, the Lord Mayor in Cork, or Mayor in Limerick and Waterford, will have uh, oversight where uh, the council will hold that, that, that person to account and there will be uh, a redraw or a, a, a recall mandate given as well as people decide that the mayor or Lord Mayor is not doing the work that they uh, had proposed. Okay, and the one question that I knew was going to come in when when we would start talking about this is is the cost of the office and one person directly saying how much will he be paid or she? Well, the, it can be a she as well, by she, the way. It can be she as well. Um, okay, the the and can we afford it? Some some can the can the city council uh, afford it? The wage packet they're looking at one hundred and thirty thousand. 
Yeah, which is the equivalent of 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 a, an existing junior minister. So many of the costs are just are, are literally displacing existing costs uh, and won't necessarily be extra. And, and, and look, I mean, you can argue the salary element of it. To the cows come home. There'll be some who say it's too much. There'll be some who say it's too little. I have a very uh, view, simple view that in in terms of politics or in terms of media or whatever, you, you pay people properly. Uh, remuneration should be adjusted in fair wage. Um, and, and therefore, then you avoid any of the the the, the, the un, unseemly elements that could perhaps uh, be seen in many parts of the world and our own country creeping around corruption and poverty. I have a very simple view that we should pay people properly so that we can avoid any other elements coming into politics. And therefore, there is full accountability, full transparency in terms of the fundraising ability of of a person for election. It should be all under SIPO, you know, standard office and public office, and we will be having. In, in time, an electoral commission established, and therefore that will very much have strict criteria around the rules of 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 of, of, of expenses and so on. So I, I I believe that you should pay the person properly, um, I, and I think in this case many of the costs are are displacing costs, and and look, people will argue the cost of the of the office, but you know democracy does cost money, and we shouldn't be prepared to pay for our democracy. Otherwise, we'd end up like some of the different you know regimes around the world where you have autocratic rulerships and that, that's good for any democracy. Okay, what if Cork votes yes and Limerick and Waterford vote no to the plebiscite? They, they're not, stand, they're standalone, they're not dependent upon the other. If you may recall in Dublin a number of years ago, I think they all voted no, therefore the proposition for Dublin fell. In this case, they're three standalone votes. Uh, so each, each, each electoral contest will be different and, and will be separate. Um, and I'm hoping and appealing to the people of Cork City to vote yes um, in the plebiscite so that we can have uh, a new office created uh, of the directly elected Lord Mayor uh, which will bring many of the, the, the you know traditional values that we have back with us into the new role but also will give that person an enhanced uh, mandate and a democratic mandate to, 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 to be part of the new uh, directly elected Mayor of Cork City. Okay, listener asking why the three areas why Cork, Limerick and Waterford uh, why is this not being put to people nationwide? Well, Galway rejected it in the door it was fixed for Galway in the door as part of the bill um, it, it's a pilot it, it, it's, it's, it's the beginning of the process um, much like other, other English cities there was a number picked in the beginning and, and maybe over time and hopefully over time it will unfurl as you know in Dublin there is a citizens assembly being established because there are a number of uh, different diverse council areas um, who will have to make a decision about how that best serves Dublin so in this case, it's a cleaner and, and more straightforward linear approach in terms of Dublin, I'm sorry, in terms of Limerick, Cork and Waterford. Yeah, and as you say, it is a pilot and it, it could be rolled out to uh, other areas. And very finally, somebody says, ask Jerry, would he run? Would you run? <laughs> <laughs> would you well, first of all, first of all, the T-shirt as part of the Finnegan campaign uh, will be engaging in three town hall public meetings with members of the public uh, the 1st of May in Cork. Limerick and Waterford in the 30s and, uh, of, of April, and I can't recall the second date off the top of my head. Um, and that, that's how serious the Fine Gael Party is taking the... Limerick is the 2nd of May. That's how serious the Fine Gael Party is taking this plebiscite. We're, we're reaching out, uh, I hope, on a cross-party basis, and um, I, I hope that we can work with the Cork mayoral campaign to, to, to inform and to engage and to communicate with people about the importance of this. So the Taoiseach will be in Cork for a town hall meeting on the 1st of May, uh, John Paul Freeland and Minister Murphy and myself and the Tarnister uh, will be involved in other parts of the campaign around Cork. Um, and, and your question is, any person from Cork who, who has an interest in our city, uh, I'm sure would be tempted 
I'm not going to preempt the decision of the plebiscite. All I want to do now is to ensure that, first of all, we engage with people and, secondly, that we get a yes vote on the 24th. But, but if we do get a yes vote, would you consider running? I absolutely would, okay. is the honest answer. Okay. Because I think any of us from Cork City or, indeed, from, from Cork County have tremendous value and respect in the office of Lord Mayor and it's a very important office. Uh, and I've seen, um, at first time, as a former member of the Council, the work that the Lord Mayor does uh, and and the the, the the I suppose the love that the people of Cork have attached to the to the office dating back to McCurtain uh, and McSweeney. But I suppose since then as well, we've been very well served by by our Lord Mayors. And I do hope that as part of this change of local government, that the people of Cork will embrace and vote yes. Okay, all right, um, Jerry, we leave it there. Thank you for that, and thanks for joining thanks us on the program. Good morning, Chair. That is uh, Senator Jerry Bosmer, who is heading up the Yes campaign for the Fine Gael party in the plebiscite. Uh, do you want to vote? Do you want a directly elected mayor for Cork City? Frank and Bandon said, "I don't see anything wrong with the way we're being governed at the moment. Uh, we why have we selected the three cities? Well, well he." Um, Jerry answered that. Uh, I feel we should leave things the way they are and let Dáil Éireann make the decisions. Frank is happy with the way Dáil Éireann are running the country and uh, leave leave as is. While Noel in Bishopstown, his main concern about a directly elected mayor is that we would get a celebrity style mayor who may not make the correct decisions for the city. Could end up making decisions that... For, the, for a populist vote and doing it because he feels everybody wants this done rather than it being the correct decision for the uh, city. And that is what he would uh, worry about. But I suppose the answer on that, Noel, is when people are voting, people will get the opportunity to vote for their candidate. You would like to think that a celebrity style mayor, but you don't know. You could be right. You don't know. Would you like to think that the people, that the city of Cork would vote in as their mayor would be somebody who they would trust to be able to look after the city, but only time would tell us about This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Just a final text in on the directly elected mayors for now. And by the way, there's a number of texts coming in about the devastating fire at Notre Dame. We will get to that, but it'll be uh, after 11 now. But uh, morning, Patricia, this electing directly elected mayor business is a joke. The council can find money for this, but not to sort out our roads or other things that are more important to us, particularly in rural areas. Not another wage to someone we don't really need. 1850-333-103. Now, according to a new report from Social Justice Ireland, one in five children are living in poverty in this country, with around 230,000 children living in families with incomes below the poverty line. Joining me to discuss uh, the report is uh, Michelle Murphy from Social Justice Ireland. Good morning to you, Michelle. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, and you're welcome. With figures uh, like this, are we getting anywhere near eliminating child poverty in this country? No, Patricia, we're not. And I suppose what the, looking at the data over time, you see that really public policy has made very little progress in terms of eliminating child poverty. The numbers are stark. It doesn't really get the attention it deserves when you look at the scale of the figures and you consider that living on a low income is the norm for a large number of households and families across the country. And I think until such time as it becomes a political priority, um, we really aren't going to see a huge amount of change in the figures. So what we're saying, we published the report yesterday, what we're saying is child poverty can be eliminated. You know, there's a number of policy 
measures you can implement. You need to look at income and services. But if it were a, po- a political priority, then it, it could be done. And we're not talking about all of these families um, as families who are unemployed and you're signing on no. the live register. We're talking about low paid workers as well, aren't we? Exactly. And, you know, that's the challenge. You know, everyone has a perception that those living in poverty uh, are all in receipt of welfare payments, but they're not. There are a proportion of families, some of the lowest income families are in receipt of welfare payments, but then there are families headed by a parent or parents who are in low paid employment. And because their employment is low paid, their earnings are low, they are living below the poverty line, which means these are families that are struggling financially. You know, they're either borrowing to pay bills, they're going without basic necessities on a weekly basis. And then if they're faced with an unexpected expenditure, you know, an unplanned expenditure, for example, if you have to change your washing machine or something comes up, they just can't meet those costs. And what, what it means for the children in these families is that they're going without on, you know, a daily and a weekly basis as well. And we have to think about, you know, how they're performing in the education system, you know, what impediments do they face as a result of the situation they're living in? And what about their future job prospects? What about the future opportunities that will be available to them? You know, these are the kind of things that should be a priority for us. So investing in these children and families should be a priority for Is us. Is there almost like a cycle of poverty, uh, Michelle, that if, if a child grows up in poverty, they're more likely to continue into adulthood in poverty? Well, yes, and I suppose... That is definitely a trend and we would continually argue that that's something that needs to be examined. You know, those children that are exposed to persistent poverty, families can move out of poverty, but if you look at those children who are exposed to poverty in maybe three out of four years, then what are the the outcomes for those children? You can see through the TILDA studies and the Growing Up in Ireland studies, the impact that poverty has, you know, for older people and younger people. Things like education are huge. I mean, the figures for Ireland in terms of people whose parents didn't finish second level education, there is a very strong chance that those people um, won't finish second level education or certainly won't go on to further or higher education. So, I mean, that's very concerning. So, you know, the future prospects of these children is very concerning. So it's something we need to be looking at and investing in. And that's things like decent adult welfare rates, decent pay and conditions, um, but things like services, so housing, childcare is huge, early childhood education, decent healthcare, those are the sort of things that will really make a difference to these children and their families. And I mean, the low, the, the ones on low income, I mean, it's yes. something I've spoken with um, Father Sean, Father Sean Healy yes. um, in your organisation. I mean, making tax credits refundable, he's been banging yes. on about that for years. Yes. We have, and it's, it's a really simple solution to, and it's very cost effective to meeting those families that you identified. So they're, the parents are in employment, but they're in low-paid employment. And for the past number of budgets, they've missed out on any of the tax changes because they don't earn enough money. So if you made the tax credits refundable, it would target those earners, the lowest earners. They would get a refund at the end of the year or now because of the changes to revenue could be done on a real-time basis. The most common value is between 80 and 100 euros a year or 800, sorry, and 1,000 euros a year, which doesn't seem huge. But to those families it would make a huge difference. I mean, the cost is very modest. If you look at the, you know, the children and the other adults in those households, 
you would reach about 92,000 people. I mean, that would make a huge difference to their lives. It would be easy to implement. And it, another thing it would do, Patricia, it would incentivise employment over social welfare, which is something, you know, the government currently constantly trying to promote employment, mm. to, you know, to get families out of poverty. Well, one way to do this is to make tax credits refundable so people aren't caught in a low pay trap. Okay. All right. We'll leave it there, Michelle. Thank you for that. And uh, have a good Easter. And thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Uh, Good morning to you. That is uh, Michelle Murphy from uh, Social Justice Ireland. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And thank you to Con from Tower, who has just popped out to the radio station in person. to uh, hand over to to give um, 50 euro for me to help when I go to uh, Belarus with the, the children in the orphanages um, that I'll be visiting. Thank you. The generosity of my listeners just blows me away. You're an incredible bunch of people. So thank you uh, for that. Now, Notre Dame, the heart of Paris. Oh, my goodness, to witness those scenes last night and watching the Notre Dame being gutted by the blaze. It was just, I mean, I actually, when I was watching it, I felt a bit emotional watching the scenes. It just, it was hard to believe what you were watching, particularly if you have visited Paris. I mean, anyone who's ever been to Paris has been to see Notre Dame and just the beauty of the place and just, and the fact that it's a working church. Uh, there's just something very special and magical about Notre Dame and to watch it last night I mean just I mean you could see and I mean I was following it online on Twitter and on social media and you could see I mean the outpouring of grief for what was happening before our very eyes it was just it was it was absolutely uh, shocking and uh, bystanders from around the world were in tears as uh, they watched the 13th century Gothic masterpiece The Beloved Spire one of the highest points in Paris and it came crashing down to the ground in flames there was crowds of stunned Parisians they could do little but offer prayers on the banks of of the Seine and at one stage they were singing the equivalent of Hail Mary as the flames were getting higher because obviously a lot of, of the people that were drawn to it were people who've obviously go to Mass there and who pray there and it's their church. You know, we go along and we see it as this wonderful, iconic cathedral and a place to visit as a holiday maker. But when you're looking at it as a Parisian, as the church where you do your you're praying that must must you could understand why they would be so upset and of course Victor Hugo was the one to help save the cathedral that was about two centuries ago when he immortalised it in his uh, book The Hunch, Hunchback of Notre Dame there was around 400 firemen appeared powerless really to prevent the blaze spreading it broke out at about 10 to 7 local time and despite reaching the scene the firefighters were there within 10 minutes the hoses couldn't reach the highest point of the cathedral. They had 30 metre high ladders but they just couldn't get up to the top of the tower because obviously the tower was three times that uh, size. Now there was um, in what appears now to have been a a tragic twist. The blaze began on scaffolding which was near the top of the building because there was major renovation works going on and that was intended to save the building from collapse. Isn't that really a tragic uh, twist? Last week footage showed workers removing 16 copper statues from the spire so at least they 
had been removed. Now there was then some argument you could see it, it was going on on um, a line and Donald Trump actually got involved as well wondering why helicopters and planes weren't sent in to dump like bucket loads of water on top but it seems dropping water onto a building like this would have caused the entire structure to collapse so they couldn't, they obviously looked at doing that but they decided no that wasn't going to work. Now the majority of the cathedral's artefacts, including the crown of thorns, and the crown of thorns is believed to be, is a relic believed to be some of the crown worn by Christ at the crucifixion, and a number of the other holy sacraments were reportedly saved from inside the main buildings. But of course, as the flames failed to abate, the cathedral's famous stained glass windows, they all started to melt and uh, there was absolutely nothing at all that they could do about that. But in order to get the artefacts out, like there was wonderful candelabras and artworks and there was many furnishings. So what they did, there was a human chain was actually set up while this fire was raging and they literally were getting artefact after artefact after artefact and they were being bundled into trucks by police officers and then they were taken away and off to various other museums and safe places around the city doing, you know, do, trying to do the very best that they could but obviously for the actual stained glass windows there was nothing that they could do. There's also bells, there's some famous bells um, now, one of them, one or two of them, I think, are believed to be safe. These were the bells that would have rung out at very key moments in France's history. Um, they are thought to be uh, safe, but the three famous rose windows, which date back to the 13th century, they avoided catastrophic damage. So that's a little bit of good news. But other ones of them, um, absolutely, they just melted in in front of the firefighters' eyes. Okay, some people commenting on this. Let me go firstly. John O'Donovan was on to say it is an iconic building but he doesn't like the fact that millionaires are rowing in offering money for the refurbishment. He said no matter what they do it'll only be a copy of what was once there. So these people offering money he feels they're doing it just to make a name for themselves and to make the headlines. Instead of donating money to the Notre Dame project, they should be donating the money instead to the third world as people are more important than buildings and there are people starving in third world countries. John says he would feel the very same if it was St Finbar's Cathedral in the city was burnt to the ground. He says he would be pushing for any money that people were talking about collecting to do it up to go towards he uses an example, the trolley crisis at CUHR for the homeless, but he feels the money shouldn't be. We shouldn't be trying to, people shouldn't be trying to get this iconic building back up and uh, running. Well, there's already fundraisers underway. And as far as I know, they've already, there's a major fundraising effort underway to make sure that they restore Notre Dame Cathedral. It's it's certainly, it's not just going to be left there as a burning um, the the remnants of a burning building that is uh, for sure I mean within hours I I take it when you say people rushing forward to hand over money there was one French I don't know the gentleman's name now he's one of the big fashion uh, gurus out of Paris and he's already pledged he was the first off he has uh, pledged a hundred million towards a fundraising effort that I'm assuming is already underway uh, to try to repair Notre Dame and I know Emmanuel Macron who was meant to be going on TV to do Address to the Nation he instead went straight to uh, Notre Dame to to be there so um, uh, John 
while I, I see your point and people are starving and all of that, you can be guaranteed that Notre Dame will be uh, replaced. Michael sees it slightly different. Michael uh, says, Patricia, my heart goes out to the people of Paris. What sad and shocking images we viewed in our TV screens from Paris last night as we sat and watched Notre Dame Cathedral become engulfed in flames in the cathedral's giant iconic spire and roof collapsing into a, into a giant fireball. Notre Dame Cathedral has been a major part of French life for centuries. It was full of artefacts. The stained glass windows have melted. The first stone was laid in 80, in 1166. 1166. Isn't that incredible? It's been part of the Parisian landscape for centuries and cherished around the world as one of the most visited destinations in Europe. 12 million people every year visit Notre Dame. People of all beliefs and none stood in silence, in tears, aggrieved as they watched before their eyes smoke and flames billowing history into the sky. It had only been closed to the public for the day by about five minutes when the fire broke out. They had been preparing for the Easter ceremonies. The loss of an irreplaceable cultural and historical historic treasure is mind-blowing. Under strict secular laws, the French government owns Notre Dame Cathedral and the Catholic Archdiocese of Paris uses it permanently for free. Now, according to Michael, the priests for years have believed that the government should pay for the repairs since it's the government that owned the building. But under the terms of the government agreement, the Archdiocese is responsible for the upkeep of Notre Dame Cathedral with the Culture Minister giving it about two million a year for that uh, purpose. Yeah, and that ties in with the row that had been going on between church and state about the renovation work. They had finally, just that row was finally solved. I don't know who was paying for the renovation uh, work, but that's actually what was going on that the scaffolding was up and they reckon that that's where the fire actually started. Now I know there will be a huge investigation into it and we'll probably get more details, more detail in time but it was very, very difficult uh, to watch uh, I have to say last night and as I was watching it I was waiting for the programme to come on about the moving statues that we spoke about yesterday. I don't know how many people watched that last night where they went back over all of this, well not all of but the more popular statues that moved in the summer of 1985 and obviously Balance Spittle is the one that we were most interested. I'd be interested in your thoughts if you watched the programme. Did you did you enjoy it? It, it certainly but would have brought people back 35 years ago to, well nearly 34 years ago to 1985 and I suppose for a younger generation to, for them to get a feel of what it was like because it was just a very, very different time. I mean it certainly wouldn't have happened today you know, if statues started moving today, you would not, I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think you would get the numbers that turned out in 1985. There was just huge numbers. The one thing I didn't like, I mean, you know, you, you either, and you know, I accept there are some people who are very sceptical and say, oh, for God's sake, how could a statue move? And we had that professor guy from UCC who gave the explanation as to why people thought it moved. But I, I liked the way he handled it and said, you know, this is this is people's belief. These are, this is a view. If somebody wants to believe that the statue moved and it instills in them some way a deeper faith, then so be it. Don't, don't be don't be knocking it. Don't be making fun of it. I didn't like the Late Late Show piece 
that they showed from back in 1985 where it almost looked like the people were set up who went up and the, the, the mickey was almost taken out of them as if you, you're all a bit stupid that you could think statues are moving. You know, I mean, the one thing, and I know the Catholic Church at the time were very sceptical about the whole thing and were kind of moving sideways and there wasn't that many priests used to go along to any of those statues that were moving because the powers that be thought it was all a bit hysterical and, you know, didn't really want the Catholic, the hierarchy of the Catholic Church really didn't want to get involved uh, with it all. But, you know, I remember at the time thinking, you know, and, and subsequently you've thought, you know, if people wanted to meet in a field on a summer's evening and say the rosary, there could be much worse things that they were getting up to. But I just didn't like the idea of people being ridiculed because of something that they believed in. This is their belief. Nobody has the right to ridicule anybody else. 1850-333-103. John Paul takes your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Jobs. Social club manager is wanted for a full-time position that's at Care Bright Community and they are in Bruff. A breakfast cook is required four to five mornings. Also a shift to party that's for Longueville House in Mallow. While Desi's tyres, they've got vacancies for depot managers and assistant uh, managers. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. Okay, some of your comments in on Notre Dame. Heidi says, Notre Dame was and is a beautiful building, Patricia. Did you see the picture of the crucifix over the altar? Fantastic uh, photograph says uh, Heidi thank you for that Uh, some of your texts in Patricia do you remember when St Mel's Cathedral in Longford burnt down a few years ago the expertise required to restore Notre Dame Cathedral is available in Ireland and in Europe I cried Suzanne when I saw the news last night I have to say I got emotional as well uh, watching the building then Donald says oh for God's sake Patricia that John O'Donovan is an awful and I can't use that word because actually John Paul tells me there's a list of words I'm not allowed to use on air and that's actually one of them. So you can imagine the word that Donald is uh, a cork. It's kind of a cork word but not everyone. Some people see see it as rude. Anyway, he's painful says uh, Donald and this was John O'Donovan saying that they shouldn't be putting the money into Notre Dame and that what they should do is if they're going to fundraise give it to people in the third world who are uh, starving. Um, Hi Patricia it's so sad to hear people say that that beautiful iconic building being uh, destroyed to destroy art of any kind is an awful thing I hope you change your mind John because one does not relate to the other and then a Douglas listener says does John O'Donovan have the gift of bilocation no matter what radio station I put on he pops up (laughs) says uh, a uh, Douglas listener yeah he's a great He's a great man for ringing radio stations, I'll tell you that. But he, he, oh, he has an opinion on everything. I'm, you know, and he's, he's a man, but he's, he's a man who has the courage of his convictions and he's a man who will, uh, no problem, come on and talk about whatever he believes, whether people disagree with him or not. So I always give him kudos for that. 1850-333-103. And just on the moving statues, John and Clonakilty says, Patricia, it's hard enough to get people moving today, not to mind statues. <laughs> when I said that if it happened today, it would be very different to what happened to Ballinspittle in 1985. Now, yesterday's weather was absolutely 
Shocking. With uh, heavy rain and strong winds and it led to flooding in some areas. One area that experienced flooding yesterday was the entrance to a graveyard just outside Belgooli. Local resident JJ Hurley posted the video footage of the flooding at Clonteed Graveyard. And uh, JJ joins me. Good morning to JJ. Good morning. How are uh, you? I'm, ver- I'm very well. Uh, well. I'm just thinking there, actually, sorry. Now, yeah. if, you use, if you use a bad word, does John Paul give you a hundred lines? <laughs> I must not use a bad word. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, how that came up was on the breakfast show this morning when I was talking about being in Notre Dame and an American and he climbed up on my back to take a photograph. A mass was on and I thought the American was being really rude. And I, I said afterwards, I'd said, I wished I'd had the balls to say to her, will you stop it? You're inside the church. And I got picked up and said, we, even though John Paul doesn't think that's on the list and he's getting right. the list out but the other word that the person wanted me to use is definitely on the list <laughs> so we're not using it now this road does this road flood often? Yeah I suppose to be fair you know it it is really heavy heavy torrential rain it does and that can happen you know I mean if you have a flash flood or you know when I say flash flood you know you have heavy rain there we get those bursts and it, 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 it floods fairly regularly then um, but I suppose in this case it was brought to my attention, you know, I do contribute to a number of local papers, but I, I, it was brought to my attention again yesterday. A, local, a couple of local families were really, really upset yesterday, Patricia. Um, I know one, one, one man went over and he's cleared the dikes on four occasions. He's cut the trees himself. Now, there's also a local man, um, and his, his first name escapes me, excuse me, he's a Mr. Lawton there, he lives in Belgooli, and he regularly goes over and cuts the grass and keeps the place absolutely immaculate, and he does a lot of work in the locality and, and uh, a lot of credit to him. Um, but but uh, the, the one family were really, really upset yesterday, their, their, their headstone um, of a recently deceased relative was, you know, was destroyed in water um, and it was muddy and, I mean, it's, you know... I listen. I, I watched your video clip, and it just—I was thinking if that was a loved one of mine that was buried there to see the grave covered in water. I mean, it's just shocking. And it, was, and it wasn't just one grave; it was several yeah, graves. Yeah, Planted graveyard dates back to the 17th century, and there's a lot of historic graves there. There's the O'Neills in Kinsale, and he was yeah, Eamon O'Neill is buried there. He was the last. Kinsale man to be a TD in the Doyle Aaron. He was uh, the last, uh, he was the last town caller. There's also uh, Ty Lynch, who was a famous uh, um, person in the War of Independence in and around Kinsale and very famous. And there's other, there's a lot of, and, and not just outside that, there's other, and I just think it's, you know, do you know what, Trish? There's a lot of people on about local elections at the moment, and we have grandiose schemes being, being, you know, being brought out, being wheeled out every day, and yet we have a dike that needs to be cleared. I mean, you know? is it as simple as that? Is it well, as I simple it as cleaning the clearing the dike and then keeping it cleared? Yes, I'll going over there and having a look and seeing what's causing the flooding and, and, and causing the problem. Now, to be fair, I suppose to the council, and we all know this. Look, we all have a we all have a, a corner of our own, a backyard that we'd like to be cleared, and, and I understand that. And I suppose with planted. Um, it's it's something that doesn't happen all the time, but you know, you know, to your listeners, when when somebody dies and and that loss and that that mourning, and you know, you you go over and people do, you know, it's an Irish thing to go and visit the grave, mm-hmm. and we all do it, no matter how long a person has died. And I suppose, in a strange way, the older we get, I certainly find this is that when you do go into a grave and maybe you see a loved one, and then you kind of do the rounds. Do you know what I mean? You yeah, go yeah. And you see the neighbour that you used to know, or the you know, we all do that, and we. 
and I just think, you know, there's now to be fair to the council, and you know, they have done a lot of work. I mean, they've a lot of graves are marked around the place. They've, you know, where where they, you can go online now and you can find out where somebody is buried, and that's fantastic. And 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 I think, and be that's fair, become almost a, almost a tourist um, yeah. thing. I mean, people travel for genealogy and trying to trace relatives, and and they go to graveyards, particularly old graveyards uh, like Clontade. Well, absolutely, and I and I just forgot. Actually, what happened to me last summer, and this is really, really strange. I was in the, I was out with my wife, and we were in a restaurant. We overheard of Americans talking, and they were looking for Clontade Graveyard, and they wanted to see because their relatives had come there. And what was amazing about this was the person she was looking for was actually a cousin. <laughs> a cousin had married a grand aunt of mine, and I was actually able to take him to Clontade, and we I got in contact with a local historian there, uh, Fergal Brown, who's fantastic. Uh, he's up the country, but he's really, he's fantastic. And we were able to tell them where they, where they were from and bring them to the graveyard and say, look, this is your relatives are here, and it was fantastic. But could you imagine yesterday, like as you said, arriving to Clontade yesterday, and we talk about, you know, how important tourism is and all that, and seeing this big... Massive, you know, and it was, it's not a puddle that was there yesterday. Oh, John Paul is asking, I'm going to get the video again. It was a massive flood of water. It was, was yeah. There. And then when a car drove past, and it wasn't the car's fault, but that no. was just washing further water in. And the danger there, actually, there was a danger there as well. I know people people that go to work that way, it's a quicker way, they come out of Kinsale and they flick up that way. And you know what, on a, on a dark morning, and you hit a puddle like that, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's very dangerous. Ironically, and it is very ironic. And another thing, we are waiting for water in Belgooli. There's an issue. There's we we got pipes laid here in July 2016 at a cost of over half a million, actually six hundred thousand. And there's a delay, and we get keep getting these this press release from Irish Water saying, oh, it's going to happen this quarter, and then it's this quarter comes and goes, and it's on to the next quarter. And I said, it's amazing. It's amazing that the statutory bodies in this country can bring water to the dead, but they can't bring it to the living. I'm sorry, no, but that's, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and I was waiting. Uh, this gentleman texts regularly uh, whenever we bring up an issue like this, and he's a former council worker who uh, who who says. It's back to the man with the shovel. This is a former council worker who listens to us who used to be one of those, the men with the shovel, who knew every ditch and every dike. They would have had it cleared out. They would have known rain expected, heavy rain, likely flooding. Make sure that outside Clontade graveyard, for example, make sure that the dikes are open. And, but the problem there, I suppose, to be fair, is that health and safety today, if you have a man standing by the road and, and he, if he hasn't got, you know, the, the, the proper facilities to warm around the coming traffic and he's not wearing a high-vis jacket and he's not... Oh, I know, I know. And then I you're know. down there. Can I just say, in relation to Clantade, I met Councillor Alan Coleman last night and he did say he wasn't aware of it, to be fair, because I suppose, and he is, there's trees to be cut there and he said that was going to be done over the next few days and he also said that I think he's going to talk to a number of families I'm going to remind him in the text in the minute that he said he's going to do that. I'm sure he will. That's not fair, though, but I'm sure he will. And I think he's going to have a look at that. To be fair to Clantade, and I will say this again, it's not something... You see, a normal rain doesn't affect it, but when we get really, really heavy rain, it does. Mm. That's the only thing. Yeah, right? it's when you get that, like, cloud bursts uh, almost. And <coughs> is, is is that still a working graveyard? Are there still... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and oh, there yeah, is. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's, 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 it's very much, you know, it's generational. Now you can go in and there's a couple of, you know, generations of people in there and it's very historic. So it's it's really... 
I suppose I don't know now would I would I because I'm only lived in Belgooli maybe about twenty years I don't know if I if I get the citizenship now to be allowed to be in there even I know I know <laughs> and and well thank God that there wasn't a sem- there wasn't a um a funeral there yesterday yeah can I just say I suppose Trish to be fair to Cork County Council and I suppose it's something they do have a thing if you go into their website and look up on the right hand side of their video or sorry of their website they have a thing called my council and if you click on that and you go into it, you can actually report stuff. I actually didn't, I just didn't thought of that now, but maybe, you know, the, the people, listeners might know out there, if you have a pothole, if you have something like a dike gone, if you have even lights gone outside your streets or whatever. So go into the website and look up on the right-hand side and you'll see a little uh, icon called My Council. Uh, and if you register on that, you can, you can, you can it, it, it's recorded. Um, and it's a good system, I yeah, suppose, to be fair. Yeah. So that would be something that could be done yesterday as well. All right. Um, okay. Um, and we were seeing as you're you're in Belgooli, you're you're close enough. Balance Spittal. Were you we you weren't in the area for Balance Spittal? I was. Were were you? Were you? Do you I'm going to tell you a very funny story. Go on. Tell us your memories so of Balance Spittal. I was nearly I was nearly lynched in Balance Spittal in 1984. 85. 85. Yeah, I was 15, and uh, <clears throat> I was out in Balance Spittal, and somebody, my father, brought a pair of binoculars with me, and I was looking up into the sky, and I said, I can see it. And they said, see what? And this was going on for a couple of minutes. I can see it. And my father said, what, what, what can you see? And I pointed up to the sky. And there was a big crowd now looking at me at this stage. And I said, I can see a satellite up in the sky. <laughs> I was nearly lynched. <laughs> so you you went to Balance Spittal as a yeah. young fella for the fun and nothing else. So you didn't see uh, it? No, I suppose we all did, went there. But did, you, did, did you see a statue move? If you stared long enough, it moved. Yeah. Did you watch? You know the... what? I would have even, and I still have still have the same thing today. You know, as I did as a young fifteen year old. You know, do you do you, do you, do you need to see a statue moving before you you have a bit of faith? Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's I know. Yeah. Look, it's great. Yeah, but if it, if people want to believe it, it's it is their belief. We won't. We we we. Well, I yeah. Would yeah. Doubt absolutely. Did you no, watch the Did you watch the program last night? No, I missed it. Actually. Yeah. I, it's what, it's what what... I was actually. I was I was with John Paul actually that well. Oh, you were indeed at the at the the mayoral awards. And that was, do you know what? Great yeah, the Mayor Awards won last night. I oh, yeah, actually, we, we were a group in Belgoole who were involved and, and I know we, you, you've been great. You've given us great coverage in relation to the speed and we finally got our lights and we're, we're, right. we're moving on and we want to thank all the councillors and, and all the TD schools and Cork County Council. Um, but <clears throat> I, I felt a bit humbled last night because there was people there last night and do you know what? The work that's been done by by individuals and can I just say because we all give out about them right we'll be all giving out about them now for the next week but actually you know at Cork County Council and, and the elected officials uh, they do you know I know we all give out about we say well Jesus are they ever going to fix my road are they ever going to do this but you know to see them actually last night and people getting rewarded and the work that actually goes on of course there's more to be done we all know that look you know we're, we're the Aaron Road or Aaron you know, you know and I would think I was humbled last night to see I, I think one man actually up in up in North Cork to keep his local farmers or his local post office open. He gave his, he just, he used his, his uh, redundancy to do it. I know. Okay. It was a fantastic girl. I think she was some Dunman Miller last night who wrote a book and was a, do you know what? Did your heart proud? People. It's good. People we, we, we have a great county. We have a great uh, county with great people. 
Yeah, we just, do you know what? The naysayers have to stop giving out. That's Get it. off their backside and stop giving out. And I, do something. And do something. Okay, let me, let, let me go back to, to, to Clontade. Uh, health and safety, this is some text in. Health and, uh, health and safety are not making jobs, they're closing jobs, says one texter. And somebody else says, uh, hi, my mother's grave is in Clontade. Uh, yesterday when I arrived, I had to help an elderly gentleman try to get to his wife's grave. You couldn't even enter, there was so much water. And he was so upset standing outside the graveyard. During a previous storm last year, my father attended a tree, tended to a tree which was threatening to fall on two graves. TDs are aware of what's going on, as my family have highlighted it previously, but elections are coming up and always seem to be getting us more empty promises. Thank you to JJ Hurley for highlighting this. Well, it is being done, according to Councillor Coleman. It's been done next week, so I'll, I'll give him a reminder today that there is, that it is, he said that, that it was being done, um, so hopefully it will be, and hopefully it won't be that. It won't be that. Um, you know, um, just, just can I can I say one more thing? Very finally. Very bold. Very bold. <laughs> I'm, I'm, they're trying to wrap me but, up. <laughs> yeah, go on. I'm going to go. Leo McMahon. Um, oh, everybody remember Leo. Uh, he he wrote for the Star for so long. Yeah. And he's doing a talk in Kinsale today at two o'clock in Kinsale in 1988. He asked me yesterday to publicise. Okay. So you can get a chance. So two o'clock in the Temperance Hall today with Leo McMahon. Can say in 1988. I'm sorry for doing that. Yeah, you're, 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 listen, you're a great guy. We always enjoy talking to you, uh, JJ. Keep flying the flag. Uh, you're <laughs> you're doing great much. work. Thanks a million. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Bye uh, bye. Uh, how are you describing community activist, resident journalist? He's a great guy. Uh, JJ Hurley joining us from uh, Belgoolie. Now, a young band called Fusion from uh, Clonakilty join me in studio to chat about their music and to talk about their recent record deal with UK company M. H.M. Uh, Jack Ellis, Michal Collins and Jack Archibald is also in studio, uh, who's kind of the third member of the band. Uh, you're all very welcome. Um, Jake is going to, I'm told, do most of the talking, so I suppose Jake will start, because he's the talker, I'm told. Um, okay, talk to me about the history of the band. This goes back to primary school days with you and Jack, isn't it? So yeah, myself and Jack started this for a battle of bands competition called Skullavision. It was in Scunabukali in our primary school. So there was about five of us at the time, just classmates. And we were in this battle of bands. And after we kind of knew we wanted to pursue it. So we went on to secondary school and the kind of band changed around. So we got a new lead singer and the kind of band, kind of just the three of us really, myself, Jack and Sean O'Shea, a guy called Sean O'Shea, we're really good friends with him. Um, so we went into a competition called Teen Idol in secondary school. And that's where we met Michal. So we kind of just... A friendship with Michal basically okay. and after we kind of just started collaborating with Michal and eventually formed the three piece so okay. that's kind of how it started really um, and talk to me about your musical influences and, and how would you describe your music our music is kind of like upbeat pop Okay. so our new stuff is kind of like more electronic pop really but our influences kind of go to Ed Sheeran kind of picture this type of thing I know Ed Sheeran's a very common one to say Yeah. but I think picture this are inspiring a lot of kind of pop singers yeah, in Ireland great. at the moment Um. So yeah, kind of that kind of genre really pop, kind of Shawn Mendes, kind of Adrian type of thing is what we kind of go for. So it's kind of something like that really. And uh, Jack, with a name like Archibald, your mum is? Deirdre. So you, you, you were raised with music, were you? So yeah. always music in your house? Yeah, just sort of, uh, just always going flat like Yeah. <laughs> no stuff with it, like yeah. And you're, are, are, you, are you in the band or you're not in the band? I'm a bit confused uh, on this. Like, like you said, yeah, the extra Beatle kind of job. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to, to the two lads, but I kind of joined them for like live sessions or gigs and things like that. Too, okay, because so. you're, in, you're in college at the moment. Yeah. 
doing? Uh, environmental science in okay. UCC. Not yeah. doing music. And, no. ja- <laughs> and Jake, you're in college doing? I'm in digital media at CSN. Okay, what do you hope to do? Well, the dream is to mm. do the music, right? But I kind of like to go into TV and stuff. Yeah. It's all kind of graphics and websites and TV and stuff like that down there. But the kind of the dream is to do music. And that's what we really want to do. And I think the record is going to help us do that, really. Okay, and then Mihal then is the new kid on the block. The new kid on the block. He's, <laughs> he's literally, the, you're still in school, Mihal. I'm, yeah, I'm in fifth year, so. Okay, so you have another. So what do you want to do when you, when you finish? Um, I don't know, like, I was looking at, like, music teaching. All right, in secondary yeah. school and stuff like that, but sure, you never know. Okay, know. well, we, we, we know Jack's, where Jack's music comes from. Is there music in your house? Um, well, most of them think they can sing and stuff right. and all this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, uh, kind of like they be have a sing song and stuff. And yeah. Just yeah, you grew up singing yeah. as well. Yeah. And what about you and Jake, musical oh, background? I'd say there's not one person in my family who could sing. Isn't it? <laughs> 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 my mum's tone deaf and <laughs> my, no, she, she explained herself she's tone deaf. Apologies now, Mrs. Ellis, if you're listening. <laughs> she says herself that she's tone deaf and everyone asks her, does the music come from her? Um, my dad's a bit of a performer, right, but he can only be karaoke and stuff. Okay. But literally the music I tell you started in the family tree. Okay, so getting a UK company to sign you, that's no easy achievement. Talk me through no, how that happened. We were kind of, when we started the kind of last December, we had a gig in Casey's. We kind of said, like, we'll push it this year. And the thing was, we recorded a single ourselves in t- September. And we kind of said, we want to push this, but we didn't know where to go with it. So we contacted loads of emails saying that we wanted to push it and we wanted to push it. We had a demo and the one place they got back to us was MHM Records. And they said the thing was that we were so persistent with it. We kept emailing them and they didn't reply the first time. We kept emailing them saying we wanted to take this to the next level. So that and can work. That oh, can, it can yeah, work. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. you can work. It's yeah. all persistence. But you have to, like, the thing is we had a demo of our own original stuff with yeah. everything you see online now is all covers and yeah. everything like that. Whereas we you are a point of difference. Original. Yeah, we can all... The only thing we want to release is our original music, really. We don't want to release covers anymore. We went down the route of that, but nothing really came out of it. And then they flew you to London? So we flew over to London, yeah, in February. Myself and Michal went over. It was a nice little trip for ourselves. <laughs> to record? We, yeah, yeah, we recorded a whole EP over there. So we recorded it in Ipswich, it was. Was that very different to recording here? It was, because the guy we were recording with, like, the guy who's from the label, is a genius. Like, he's... Yeah. yeah. He's, we were blown away by his ability to actually, like, you know, work with us. And he was doing a lot of the music side with us. He was developing us, really. Yeah. Um, But he just... I've never seen a better singer. Like, he's phenomenal. He was an artist back in his day as well, like... So he was going to only teach us about the industry and stuff we should, like, look out for. And he's... They're going to guide us through it, basically. But Brilliant. So you've recorded... It's it's five, is it, Michal? Um, five, yeah. Yeah, so. but, you, but you'll release one... One at a time, basically. And one, okay. If the first one goes well, we'll see what, when to release the next one, I suppose, and stuff on. And will, do you make that decision or the, re- or the record company makes? It's a bit of both. A bit of both, yeah, yeah. We want yeah. to release it as soon as possible, but they want to kind of wait for the summer, I think. Okay. Because I think it's going to be early May, they're kind of scheduling to release. We haven't got a date yet, but it's kind of early May is kind of the first one's meant to be released. And of course, having a record company, they'll push it. They'll push it, yeah. yeah it's going to be mar- like, it's way better than anything we could do ourselves. We can only do Facebook and Instagram and stuff like that, but they can do a lot of the Spotify and stuff like that. And if you release Summertime, is it possible you hit some of the festivals, the music festivals? That's what we hope to do. That's kind of the summer goal. So kind of, yeah, the, the main summer festivals are we going to be aiming to do, right? Any talks yet? In, uh, we can't release really anything, no. <laughs> yeah. 
And, you see known stories for and Jack, you'll be available for the live gigs if they get into <laughs> oh, summer yeah, festivals. Yeah, I'll free up the schedule. <laughs> <laughs> You're very good. Okay, so what's going to be the, what? What is the first single, and when does it get released? I think the first one, geez, let you go. I'd say it is. It's probably the one we want to release the most because it's go. It's so different to our normal stuff. Um, it's a real and summer vibe. Yeah, it's a real summer like, kind of banger of a tune. And what's it about? Is there a story um, to it? It's about kind of being with someone for a long time and then realizing you have to let them go, but then you're kind of doing your own thing and you're realizing, like, you know, you're not what you're meant to be. And kind of the first line is, it's been months, do you know? So it's been a long time and then let you go is kind of to move on now. To my own is it thing. a true story? Who left to go? There's, 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 it's about seeing <laughs> seeing something happen. And he's saying no more. He's <laughs> saying no more. Okay, you're going to play for us. We're going to play a song called Come and Gone. Okay, is this one of the ones that will eventually get released? Yeah, it's going to be part of the EP. Yeah. Okay, so. all right. Apologies if we mess it up. You, well, you won't mess it up. <laughs> In your own time. Fusion. Trying to work this out right Push it on me So I can't change <laughs> You started doing the wrong no, oh, <laughs> that's an, that's You're okay This is live radio Don't worry about that's it another one. That's, that's another one That's the last one We're actually meant to release Okay Which one is this though? This is called oh, Different song Okay It's okay It just proves it happens, You've got more it happens. There's a lot And of it also oh. proves You've got more than one song In your repertoire <laughs> So it's fine It's okay It will start again You say you're the one, but I tell you that you're wrong. I ain't got the space in my heart for someone. I told you to forget about me, cause baby I forget about you. And I just can't remember the last time I thought about you. See that you're gone, but you don't wanna leave. So I packed up your stuff, put it out on the street. Here we go again, yeah. You said I was stay friends, yeah. Only to pretend, yeah. Just wish that I told you. And you were crazy to think you could be the only one to save me. But you can't leave me gone. Just another love coming gone. You were crazy to think you could be. The only one to save me, but you can't let me die. Just another love coming gone. Just another, just another one. It's something that it's easy enough for us to be great, but it's something that it's easy for us to be a mistake. Tell me that I'm wrong, what's becoming undone? It's something that it's easy enough for us to be great. How you gonna tell me we have to suffer while we only make love under the covers? What you telling? Telling what you're telling me You see that you're done But you don't want to leave So I packed up your stuff Out on the street Here we go again You say that we're still friends Yeah, only to pretend Yeah, I wish that I told you 
That's fantastic. That's a really, really great sound. It Absolutely really is good. <laughs> it really is good. Uh, somebody's saying if they, they're a great young band, any gigs coming up? So over the Easter break, we're starting off in the Arch Barn in Manway. So we're playing there Easter Sunday um, from about 10 o'clock. Okay. So the three of us will be there. And then on the 26th of April, then we have... Um, I guess a, a gig in Casey's bar so they're the bar that kind of started us off really um, for gigs around Clon so that's kind of the main t- main bar we gig in Clonakilty Isn't Clonakilty though a fantastic town for music? It I mean, is you, yeah, you couldn't have the guitar festivals are actually massively so yeah. that's a massive there in September time and then for the summer they kind of have small festivals like the street carnival and stuff like that and we kind of try and play as much as we can there so we play in Casey's and Clon and then the Arch and the Manway so, so they're kind of our two main places so okay. to play, um, but no cases have been absolutely brilliant to us in the past. They um they held our launch night. We released a single in September, so they held that for us. Just a massive, massive shout out to them. Really, they just done a lot for us. Really, and then the Arch and Manway have been giving us a lot of days during the year as well. So kind of every second, I suppose every second month we're in either one of them. Would you consider any of the talent shows? That's been a big question over like the last few years for us, really. Um. Like it's a great platform. It's a great it's platform. I think it depends what you want to do, though. I think yeah. if you want to release your own stuff, I think the best way to go about it is kind of go into the studio and kind of write your own stuff. Yeah. But I think if it's like your six months of fame, I suppose you can go for the X Factor. Yeah. I know there's I, I, Sean I, kind of I, think today, yeah. I think you're dead right. I think you're dead. And and massive. the people that that go and try to promote their own stuff get nowhere. They only want the people who are doing the covers who are going to be popular, as you say, for the six months, and then you're gone. Yeah, I think the kind of stuff of the kind of Justin Bieber kind of Shawn Mendes thing of kind of making it from covers is kind of I think it's gone to be honest I think yeah. I don't know is it kind of coming back or not but I think the whole kind of factor of recording your own stuff and showing to labels to see what they I think persistence if you want it I don't think if you're posting your own stuff on social media do you think they want it or not Okay. but I think we kind of realise if we kind of show labels we want it then they'll know you want it. That's going to the whole thing about MHM when they picked us up. Okay. Because we want well, it. let us know when the first, we when you drop the first thing. Yeah. Early May. <laughs> and good luck on the festival circuit. I think you're going to be big on the festival circuit this year. And <laughs> uh, listen, it was fantastic having you in studio. We look forward to having you in studio again in the future. Uh, to the members of Fusion, thanks for joining thanks us. Thank good morning you. to you. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Some of your calls come in, still getting a lot of calls in about the moving statues and the programme that was on uh, TV last night. Still, I think now that people saw, because we had a big reaction to this programme, when we talk about... A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. But when we spoke in advance of the programme yesterday, we had a big reaction uh, to it. But a lot of people still reacting to it. And I'm assuming a lot of people watched it last night and it's just evoked and brought back memories to a lot of people of what that summer of 1985 was like when the statues were moving in this country. Eileen says, um, I remember going down to Ballinspittal. I had four children with me and I was I was more interested in watching the children because I had four young children and I was also heavily pregnant at the time. I was terrified in case one of the children would fall on the grassy bank. So I spent most of my time watching the children. I then looked up at the statue and I did see it moving and I wasn't staring at it as had been suggested on the programme last night that if you stare at something long enough you will see it moving. My husband, by the way, didn't see it move. It was only me. I was certainly taken aback at the time because I went down there as a total uh, sceptic as a lot of people did and uh, I certainly was uh, moved by what I saw and that's from Eileen in Bandon. Thank you for that, Eileen. Some of your texts in. Uh, Patricia, what I found wrong with the moving statues was, and this was at the time, people going to see the moving statues, people seemed to be going to church and then turning their backs on the altar and facing a statue to pray. I thought there was something wrong with that at the time. And Eileen says, Patricia, I watched the programme last night on the moving statues and it brought back lots and lots of memories to me. The lady that was on the Late Late Show must have been inspired by evil spirits, says uh, Eileen. That was the lady who was quite mean and sort of turned on the ones 
who had who really genuinely believed that they saw that the statues moved. Somebody else wasn't happy with the late. I, I, it was the one part of the show that I didn't like either. Was it was the late late shows a bit? They were just so negative about it back in. 1985 uh, and someone else says last night's programme just showed how nasty Gay Byrne really was and not the good person that people thought he was well I don't know if you could say he was nasty I mean that was the view that was taken by the producers of the programme and obviously he would have been involved as well that they certainly back in 1985 were not going to have anything to do with the moving statues and were not going to believe in it in uh, any way some of your whatsapps in Mary says Patricia just to comment on the moving statues programme first of all I didn't realise that there were so many reports of moving statues yeah I think it came out at over 70 different uh, areas around Ireland I like you liked the comments from the gentleman from UCC if you think you saw what you saw then so be it I also loved the account from the three women from County Sligo who saw the vision of Our Lady in the night sky 34 years later they are still convinced of that sighting I was taken by their solid account of their experience says Mary thank you for that Mary and that's the one thing having watched the programme whether you care to no matter what side of the fence you're on about the moving statues watching the people talk the people who uh, were, were giving their memories of 34 uh, years ago without a shadow of a doubt they are absolutely 100% convinced about what they saw and nothing and no one is going to tell them uh, they were wrong. Because even the gentleman who was talking about that man from UCC at the end, who was a, a Polish professor, who happened to be, he said as well, he was a Catholic, he was making the point that um, he'd gone down there with others and they were doing like the scientific evidence of could these statues have been moving. <laughs> Some gentleman from Cork made the point they were wearing glasses, they needed to get their eyes tested. You know, that even when you had people with scientific evidence that this statue could not have moved it was not going to deter people from believing what they believed and that's what that gentleman that's what I liked about that gentleman from UCC and what he said you know if you want to believe you know if you think you saw what you saw then so be it it is your belief nobody should take that away from anyone I think was uh, was the, the point that he was making uh, Hi Patricia when you're talking about the moving statues it makes me think of the Only Fools and Horses uh, episode where they thought the statue was crying but it was only crying when it was raining. I remember that episode well. And Michael says, Patricia, it's ironic. This is back to Notre Dame. And I suppose kind of ties in with the moving statues. Isn't it ironic that such a place of worship like Notre Dame Cathedral, which needed really major renovations, burnt to the ground and no loss of life. Renovations that France could not afford, especially as it's a country torn apart at the moment. Isn't it also ironic that it happened on the night that Macron was about to make a speech to the nation talking mainly about the Yellow Vests protests and the Yellow Vest protest really has France divided and Paris divided where most of the protests go on. Anyway, back to Michael's text. Did faith play a hand in bringing France back together today? Everyone now is offering help to rebuild Notre Dame. 
Notre Dame. Miracles do happen. It looks like there's one happening in France, says uh, Michael. Thank you for that, Michael. 1850 Uh Martin from says, Patricia, I think all those people who uh, were seeing moving sa- statues should book into, the, book into a home for the bewildered and the clinically insane, says Matt in from Oi. And there, there are your opinions, uh, Matt. And then someone else says, there's an Easter when we're talking about Notre Dame and that beautiful cathedral burning down, just to let other people know. And we were talking about a cemetery as well, the cemetery flooding, that there's an Easter Sunday dawn mass at 5.45am, so quarter to six next Sunday morning in the Old Court Cemetery in Donnerale and all are welcome. Now, I imagine that is quite a special event and by all accounts the weather this weekend is meant to be magical it's meant to be beautiful uh, so and to, to so a dawn mass on a beautiful Easter Sunday morning Some, something sounds that sounds lovely that's the Old Court Cemetery in Donovan if people want to go along 1850 we were talking about bylaws uh, to be introduced in, they're coming in in June, isn't it, for Cork County Council? We were talking about them yesterday. They're they're the bin police. We've been well. We're just affectionately calling them the bin police. That's not the uh, official word for them. This is where w- local authority workers, uh, inspectors, can go to your front door. We'll be able to go to your front door and knock on your door and ask you how do you do the, how what do you do with your rubbish? If you don't have curbside collection, if you don't have weekly bin collection they are going to start calling to people to find out. What they're trying to do is they're trying to stop illegal dumping and fly tipping. And this is people who collect up their home rubbish and then just dump it willy-nilly anywhere. There's something... Yeah, I mean, you would like to think it's a very small proportion of people are doing it, but that small proportion of people are ruining it for everybody else. So they reckon one way is to try to trace the people to try to find out what people do with their rubbish. So if you don't have a curbside collection, yes, there are other ways you can dispose of your rubbish and many people do. Many people are really good at recycling. Many people go to places where they can give in their rubbish and they pay, you know, so much per bag. Others share bins. So when the the council are not saying that everyone who doesn't have a bin is illegally dumping. But there are a proportion of people who don't have a curbside bin collection who are fly tipping who are disposing of their rubbish illegally and they're the ones that they're going to try to get. So we were talking yesterday uh, about the county council have now taken on board the very same bylaws that the city council have already introduced and it's a template that's nationwide. This isn't something that's just happening in Cork. The idea is that every single local authority will take on this template and then they set up their own bylaws. You know, They can be tweaked and whatever. But the idea is that the law is there allowing the councils to get on to all the bin companies in the area to say, give us a list of all the houses that do have curbside collections. There's no point calling to them. The theory is they're putting their bins out every week, so they're disposing of the rubbish. But let's take a look at the houses that don't have a bin side curbside collection and let's see what they're doing with their their rubbish. We were talking about that yesterday on the programme and Jane says Patricia obviously they've got the same bylaws in Limerick. Did you see what happened to the couple who were uh, fined and this is uh, a story that uh, I'm sure it was making the Limerick leader yesterday it's the parents of a schoolgirl. they've been prosecuted that this would be under Limerick County Council they've been prosecuted under the Waste Management Act and they were 
connected to three bags of rubbish which were dumped in the city centre. Now, somebody in the council went through the rubbish and when the litter warden, when they were dissecting all the rubbish, which is a horrible job to have to do to go through somebody else's rubbish because you know yourself when you're throwing out your bins the smell that can come out of a bin without having to get in there I know with rubber gloves on and start dissecting it and going through it to see if you can find can you trace it back to anyone anyway they went through it and they discovered that there was a documentation in the rubbish that was linked to a certain girl attending a local school and it was discovered in the bag. So obviously the Limerick Council then had to get on to the school to get the address I'm assuming or maybe there was an address inside in it as well but anyway they got all the details the local authority and they issued a notice requiring the parents to supply details of their waste collection service so they wanted to find out well what do you do with your rubbish because we found these bags of rubbish and it was obviously household waste so they issued a notice they didn't comply with it and that the couple didn't come back to say okay we don't have curbside collection but this is what we do with our rubbish so then they issued them with a fine and the fine wasn't paid so it went before Limbrick District Court and Judge Marion O'Leary has now fined each parent 200 euro and she's also directed that they pay 293 euro towards the council's cost. So if they had initially paid the fine which is is it 80 euro is the litter fine if they'd initially paid that they wouldn't have ended up in court because that is also one of the arguments that we often hear when people are trying to put forward ways of stopping illegal dumping and littering and all of that. Some people talk about well let's name and shame um, and of course they, do, they don't name and shame if somebody gets fined for littering and you pay the fine that's it your name is never going to appear in a paper nothing else is done about it except you've paid uh, the fine and people feel well if we started naming and shaming and even in this case there's no names and I don't know it, if there's no names because it was a young school girl would the school girl have been identified that it was the information about the young school girl. Is that the reason that the parents, but certainly in the article that I read on the paper, there's there's no name, even though they were before the courts and they have been found guilty and they have been fined and they do have to pay uh, the council's uh, cost. Uh, somebody saying, is that the way Cork County Council will go? Is that similar to something that can happen with, well, yeah, when the bylaws are in, yeah. I'm, I'm imagining already, Already they would be able to, well, they certainly would be able to prosecute if they could prove somebody had dumped the litter. The Waste Management Act is already there. But looking for them, looking for the household to supply the details of their waste collection service, that's new. I mean, that's only been introduced and that's only been put in place since the or will only be put in place since the bylaws uh, go in. So yes, that is very typical of something that could happen here when the bylaws are in. 1850 333 103, lines open. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. Mallow Flower and Garden Club are welcoming Deirdre O'Keefe from Dairy Gold in Mallow to give a gardening talk 
on the 6th on t- tonight uh, at the Mercy Centre in Mallow. Uh, it's got an 8 o'clock start and new non-members are also welcome. A coffee morning in a raffle in aid of Helena Ryan will be held at the Arches Bar in Mallow. That's tomorrow from 10am to 12 noon. While Laura Community Alert Group, they're having their AGM tomorrow, 8 o'clock, and it'll be held in the local national school. Trina Community Playgroup, they're hosting their annual fundraising bingo on this Good Friday night, um, 9pm. Lots of prizes and all are welcome. And staying with Good Friday, Cove GAA are presenting Good Friday Disagreement on Friday night at 8 o'clock in the GAA Pavilion. MC for the evening is Michael Scanlon of C103 with music by Tony O'Donovan. Question and answer session with Kerry footballer Tomas O'Shea and special guests Tomas Mulcahy and, and, and Angela Walsh and tickets are 10 euro. Court today on C103. With Walker Hearing Clinic in the consultant's private clinic at CUH. Hearing experts for both adults and children. See walkerhearingclinic.ie. Nick Richards on C103 and Guinness Storehouse give you the chance to win. Chance to win. Guinness Storehouse will soon welcome its 20 millionth visitor and to celebrate, they're opening their doors for one night only. On Saturday, April 27th, Guinness Storehouse After Dark comes alive with some of Ireland's best up-and-coming music acts. Enjoy a light spectacular across the city and a Guinness and food feast. We've got a pair of tickets to give away, plus an overnight stay at the Clayton Hotel, Charlemont. Listen to Nick Richards weekdays from 1 to win with Guinness Storehouse After Dark. Win with Guinness Storehouse After Dark. On C103. Over 18s only. Enjoy alcohol sensibly. Visit drinkaware.ie. Calls are coming in. Patricia, this is a moving... Well, this is a brave man who, by the way, didn't put his name on the... Uh, as it. I saw something move the other day. My wife finally stood up and got the TV remote. Wow. Uh, there's no name on that, by the way. <laughs> if you'd like to show that text to your wife and get back to us with her response, please. Hi, Patricia, when you're talking about rubbish. Uh, rubbish problem. Our neighbours on both sides of obviously where we live burn their rubbish brazenly. This drives us nuts. But what can we do about it? They can well afford, by the way, to dispose of their rubbish as they uh, they all they both work. They've grown up children living with them all at work. We go to the amenity site with ours and have only the one wage coming in. It's very unfair, not to mind the toxins polluting our air. I really hope they get a penalty with this new stance taken by the council. Now, there's a bit of a dilemma, isn't it, for that neighbour? Uh, I can sense your frustration. We know that burning in the back garden is wrong. We've been, at one stage, there was talks of the council, or people believed that the council were sending helicopters up. Do you remember to check, was there burning going on in back gardens? But I'm wondering... Now, this is not what the listener is asking, but I'm putting it out there as a dilemma. This listener is doing everything right. She's, you know, they're being a responsible household. They're disposing of their proper, their refuge correctly. And then they have to live beside somebody who's brazenly, as this texter has put, burning the rubbish. Should that listener make a phone call to the council and say, I would like to report anonymously, whatever, that my neighbours are burning? Is that one way to get the neighbours to stop burning the rubbish? Or should she knock on the door and point out and say, really, I, I don't like the idea that I'm living beside you burning your rubbish. 
your you know there's toxins going up in the air it's polluting our air because you can't obviously keep the toxins that have been burned they can't just be kept in the neighbor's garden so they're obviously going in the for i don't know where they live i mean it sounds like it's a rural enough area is it that there isn't a curbside collection if this listener has to go to the amenity site with all of their uh, rubbish anyway what advice would you give to that listener who has to live beside somebody who they feel very brazenly are burning the rubbish it appears you never know what's going on there behind closed doors it appears that they would be well able to afford to pay to have their rubbish disposed of with the incomes that are coming into the house what would you suggest that that listener does I mean she wants the burning to stop for a whole variety of reasons you know I mean the environmental reason alone but for herself and her own family members who have to live beside you don't know what toxins are being burned when this family decides to burn the rubbish in the garden I'd love your thoughts and comments on that please 1850 I'm just while we're on environmental issues I was thrilled to hear that the makers of Guinness have announced they're removing the plastic from their beer packaging you know the plastic ring carriers you know if you buy four cans of beer they'll have the four cans together or sometimes you get them in six as well and they're easier to pick up and easier to carry when you take it out of the shop if you've watched any of those environmental programs where they go under the sea any of the David Attenboroughs the the Blue Planet ones the amount of damage that those rings do because I know one of the things that they were suggesting many years ago when the first programs came out and that you could see fish had got caught in the middle of one of those rings and then it dug into the end as the as they got stuck on the fish and the fish uh, continued to live it dug into the fish and it was horrible and they had horrible deaths and it was awful awful stuff and it was suggested that when you are buying those cans to make sure you break them up or cut them up so that they don't end up in the circle when you put them into the bin whereas when you pull them off the can they remain in the circle but they're very dangerous if they end up in the sea in that circular shape so to make sure you cut them so I was thrilled to hear that Guinnesses have decided to get rid of the, the plastic ring carriers and also the shrink wrap that they put around their, their multi-packs they're going to do it for the their cans of Guinness Harp Rock Shore and uh, Smithics and they're going to replace it instead with 100% recyclable and biodegradable cardboard. The multi-can packs will be replaced with these cardboard packs. The individual cans, they're already fully recyclable so they're okay there. The packaging now uh, will also be recyclable and it'll be on the shelves in Ireland from uh, August with the United Kingdom and their other international markets expected to fall. It's going to take a while though, uh, 2020, but it's certainly in August of this year we will uh, see it. In the bottling and packaging plant in Northern Ireland, they'll be the first site that they'll be lining up and running the new uh, packs. Now it's costing them, but they say uh, they're, they're willing to do it and um, they're hoping to go, as I say, it'll go international as well. And what I'm hoping is that other companies now will follow suit. I mean, Guinness Diageo, they're a big, big brand. People will, you know, will listen and look at what Diageo are doing and hoping others, I really do hope that others will uh, follow uh, suit. 1850 uh, Tim says, the best night to burn rubbish is a foggy night, says Tim, who obviously is one of the people who's encouraging somebody to burn uh, rubbish. Good on you, Tim. Hi, Patricia. My wife would agree with me. This is Martin in Formoy. Also, anyone who dumps... Uh, rubbish illegally should be sh- should be shamed. 
this sort of thing is just disgusting and I'd jail the lot of them. I've seen a few people dumping rubbish and I've confronted one of t- one or two of them, but really it is like talking to the wall. So Martin, along with his wife, are certainly saying to that person who brazenly has somebody actually burning. They're not hiding it in any way. They're not doing a Tim on it and burning it on a foggy night and hope nobody gets away with it. Uh, so would confront them and, and uh, would report them in the hope that that would stop the burning of uh, rubbish. Continue with your thoughts on that, uh, please. A couple of different things. John and from why when we were talking about the Moving Statues programme last night, another TV programme is on John's mind and that's the one, the Globe Trotters. This is the one where they're all gone off to, they have a group of celebrities and they've gone to India, isn't it? They're all in India. Dan is there, uh, Derek Burke is there from Crystal Swing, Alison Spittle, the comedian. Anyway, John says, what do people make of that Globe Trotters show I feel it's a waste of money. I think sending the likes of David Norris, etc. and the rest of celebrities out to another country is wasting the television licence fee. Would others think so too? And the Globe Trotters show goes out on RT on Sunday nights. I think there's only one or one or two of them uh, left at this stage. I'd fess up and hands up and say, I'm quite enjoying the show, I have to say. And I'm not one of the ones, I don't like a lot of those travel shows, but I'm really, I'm enjoying this one. I'm finding it funny. I'm finding it amusing. Does it make me want to go there? To, um, they did one on Marrakesh. No, I don't think so, but I am enjoying it. So um, is it a waste of tax payers money, i.e. the license fee, the money you pay, the 160 euro you pay for your TV license every year. Part of that is going to fund a programme like this. John says, a waste of your TV licence fee. Do others agree or disagree? 1850-333-103. And can I give a word of warning that has come in from Jerry in Lascarrow to say he had to contact his bank this morning as when he went through his debit card account. This is real proof to check your statements. He realised there was amounts of money taken out from his account and it wasn't money he had taken out. They ranged from 70 euro to 169 euro. In total, it added up to 800 euro had been taken from Jerry's account in this car. So he contacted the bank. Google was the name on the bank account where the money was paid into. The bank didn't pick up on it, so the fraud department are checking it out. As far as they can work out, it's somebody in Turkey pushing and paying for ads on Google. So Jerry has contacted us to say, would you let other people know, please, and tell them that they need to check their bank account every now and again. And with more and more banks now, getting people to go online with your bank statements. You know, back in the glory days, and some banks still do it, they would send you out a bank statement. I know, for example, my bank has stopped bank statements. They were paper ones. Now, you were allowed to keep them, but the, the loops you had to go through in order to tell them that you wanted a paper one, it was easy just to leave it go online. But that did go through my mind that at least if you have a paper account, you know, a paper copy of a bank statement, that comes in, even if it only comes in every three months, you might sort of sit down and flick through it over a cup of coffee in the morning. But to actually go online and go down through it line by line, but it's a good cautionary tale, I think, for everyone, uh, for people to check their bank accounts regularly to make sure 
that there isn't money going out of your account. That's a lot of money, though, to go missing. 800 euro gone missing from Jerry in Lascara. Keep us posted, Jerry, on how you finish up on that and how you get on with the bank. 1850-333-103. And one final text in saying, Hi, I was driving on the Rathcool to Mill Street Road last Saturday and I came across two houses with small sheds with chimneys out of them and they were 100% definitely burning rubbish because you could actually smell it. This is the Court Today replay on C103. I mentioned a dawn mass on uh, Easter Sunday earlier, the one that's going on in Donorail, the old court cemetery in Donorail. A couple of others have come in to say uh, there's an Easter Sunday open air mass at 7 a.m at Waterloo wear suitable clothing some seating will be available but feel free to bring your own uh, there'll be a cuppa afterwards that comes in from Jur. thank you for that Jur and Patricia hi there's a dawn mass in Clonfert Cemetery in Newmarket on Easter Sunday morning and that's at 5.30am ok thank you for that 1850 103 let me go to uh, Joe Heffernan who joins us on this Tuesday afternoon good afternoon to you Joe good afternoon Patricia and uh, firstly your son mixed mixed news kind of mixed news yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um a little reduction in um in kind of the pancreatic tumors but uh, God, we'll take that good one news. deliver and one and the vertebrae that hadn't reduced and um you're sure we're hopeful from Absolutely. day to day hopeful well, yeah and you know they'll they're, they're, they're come at it from a different way now they'll they'll look at it again and you know well there the... is that I mean it's quite preliminary the treatment is on I yeah. mean it's um, it's straightforward oral chemo and um, I mean I'd say there are much more aggressive and uh, much more um, <coughs> uh, we'll say up the line kind of uh, treatments that um uh, thank God, haven't been necessary yet. So, um, but, if, but if it comes, to it, it'll be there for. Uh, him. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah. He's yeah. only at the so, beginning stages. You know, okay. I suppose what you'd say is so far so good, huh? Okay, absolutely, and we'll everybody keep him in in our thoughts thank and you. in our prayers. Thanks. Okay, Thanks. we are continuing today to mm. talk about burnout. We started yeah. this uh, last week, and I suppose the main burnout comes from jobs, doesn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and and from stress within the job. Um, So, like, uh, the first thing that one would have to have a look at, like, is, (coughs) beg your pardon, what, um, you know, what what parts of the job, what what factors in the job are are stressful. So you... you, Get a glass of water. Yeah, no, you're okay. You're okay. And the first would be, like, it's, it's it's identifying what's causing the stresses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then to be actively involved in doing something about whatever. Um, in other words, like to be assertive, um, to to not wait for things to get better, but to, you know, um, change what needs to be changed. If there are issues in the workplace that need to change, that is within your own power to change. Well, then, to do that. And uh, the things that you can change then, um, uh, as I would put it to a person to kind of, as it were, take it upstairs, um, go to the, um, uh, up the line um, to 
line uh, managers or managers yeah, that and um, and point out what's wrong. Yeah, yeah, and say like this is something which isn't working out well um, either in the job, like generally, or for myself. And um, is there anything uh, we we could do um, about that? I mean, you suggest something like, and I think this is a, a good piece of advice, clarify your job description. Yeah, yeah. To be clear, like, about what it is that you're supposed to be doing. Um, because um, if you're not, there's one of the things that people talk about a lot in um, in the causes of job burnout, our lack of control. Um, if you've no influence over decisions that affect your job and yourself, the hours worked, the assignments to be done, um, uh, the amount of work that comes in. Um, you know, if if you don't know quite what you're supposed to be doing and how much of it you're supposed to be doing, well, that's very stressful because you're going in every day, like um, not knowing what's coming down the line. And that in itself would be stressful. And, of course, then there's bound to be the day that there's just too much coming down the line. And I suppose, like, stress is really a mismatch between a situation in which a person finds him or herself and the person's ability to cope with it. So that, like, if 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 one is being overwhelmed, um, uh, whether it's physical work, whether it's uh, office work, whether it's... Uh, I, I don't know if there's such a word as digital work, but IT stuff and all that. Um, of course, it can be um, extremely stressful. And um, where there are, for example, production lines, um, you know, if there's uh, kind of a target of 20 items per hour, um, and, 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 and if there are kind of... Uh, repercussions if it turns out to be 18 and um i know i mentioned it all if it's 22 um that that kind of thing can can be very stressful as well and of course um working on a production line one of the things that can also affect and be stressful is monotony that it's the same old same old every day and and that's why you would suggest like ask for a change go and say absolutely yeah that if you've been on station one or whatever the words would be in different companies, or if you've been working on <coughs> tax returns all the time, or if you have been, uh, you know, putting the same uh, part into the same other part um, uh, for secular, uh, secularum, as they say, well then, it might be um, a very valid request to just have a change for a while, um, uh, which, uh, you know, and to ask about maybe a promotion. Um, if you've been in a place a long time and if you've been working well and if everyone has been either expressed happiness with what you're doing or certainly hasn't um, uh, brought up any uh, complaints, well, then, you know, maybe a little raise wouldn't be out of order. Um, 
and I think and I think in a, a big one then on burnout and this was would have been one of the ones that was very much highlighted in the program on TV Operation Transformation when they the businessman who ended up almost on screen having the breakdown it was mm. it was quite difficult to watch was he wasn't able to take time off he wa- he felt there wasn't enough hours in the day. There was nobody else to fill in for him. He had to be there morning, noon and night. And that very much contributed to his burnout. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, even even when you kind of spell it out there and when, when one thinks about it, sure, I mean, that would be literally impossible. Life is too short for that. Um, like I'm hearing now from people that um, Saturday might be around 19 degrees. And I'm thinking, okay, that might be a nice day now to take a drive down to Killarney. Now, it's grand to be able to do that. But you see, with with that man's business, with the hotel business and all of that. um, And he had the shop and the supermarket and everything. Yeah, You know, um, and and, I mean, um, you know, uh, I suppose one has to learn to delegate and to trust and to say, look, run the show for the day. I'm out of here on Saturday. I'm, I'm, I need a day off. And to do that, rather than just say, here we go, another day, keep going, um, because the day will come, like with that gentleman, when um, he won't be able to keep going. And um, the trouble is... And we're all replaceable. Well, you know, we do find that, don't we? Yeah, absolutely. We do find that. that yeah. um, you know, places we've been and left... Um, And we find, uh, you know, it'll go on and uh, there'll be a couple of nice things said for a while and then uh, life goes on the same as before. So so taking a break, taking the time out. You're not Superman, you're not Superwoman. So so take the break. And then looking, keep a lookout for the signs and symptoms. Of well, burnout. I mean, the, the, whole, the, the you know the advice here is is to try to get to before you get to the burnout. Exactly. If you find that you're tired all the time, if you find that maybe you're not sleeping as well as you used to, if you find that you've put on a fair old bit of weight and you're wondering how did this happen, if you're feeling down, if you're feeling anxious, um. If you find it where you used to have a glass of wine that you're having three, um, uh, if you find it every evening that you get home that a drink is required, like to uh, to sort of come down from the day, um, if if you're touchy and um, you know, uh, if there's a negative spillover, like into your relationships, um, into your home life from the job well then you need to talk to someone you need to talk to the supervisor or the manager um maybe you need to see your gp um maybe you need to go and talk to someone in the mental health um uh, field um and uh, it's good to remember too that quite a lot of jobs it's amazing people can be in a certain job and they don't realize that there is an eap now, an EAP is an employee assistance program. And um, that means that if you contact, there's usually a 1-800 number for the EAP. And um, uh, if you ring them, it's completely um, confidential. Um, and you go 
and uh, what, what they have then, a lot of them are based in Dublin. I've done a good bit of work for quite a few of them. Um, they ring someone in the area, like if somebody now um, <coughs> from Sam Mallow area was to ring their EAP, and uh, with some of them I would be on their books and they'd see that my address, even though they get mixed up, they think I'm in the town. But I mean, if they see Mallow County Cork, they'll give me a ring and they'll say, have you availability for a person? And if the answer is yes, um, telephone numbers are exchanged and the person comes and the cost is covered by the EAP. And it's important that people... But re- yeah, and, 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 but, and that's good. In, and as you say, the majority of employers do it because employers know if you've got a happy employee, you're going to get the best work. Absolutely. And if a person is out, say, on stress or something like that, and if they come to, uh, if they employ, as it were, the services of the EAP, well, the employer knows that they'll be back to work sooner with that kind of assistance. Um, So it's a win-win situation. The person gets to deal with his or her um, stress and all of that, and the employer gets his valued employee back um, that bit sooner. So it's it's important to know, like to just be aware, um, maybe make an inquiry, has our company got um, an employee assistance program? And with bigger concerns, the answer is nearly always yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because people are, you know, working environment has changed so much. I mean, the traditional nine to five day seems to be gone. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I, I have spoken to people in sort of what we'll say high power jobs and, um, you know, the the criteria <coughs> sorry, for success there is kind of be the first in in the morning and be the last out in the evening. And... Um, I was talking to a person not too terribly, terribly long ago, and when they told me their salary, like, I was kind of, wow, you know? But they said, no, they're getting out, and they're going to get a job with um, quite a cut in salary, but it won't be kind of the rat race of, um, you know, the the, the first in, last out kind of thing. The person was telling me that she had absolutely no social life whatsoever. And, you know, you'd, you'd have to take those things into consideration as well. And that people listening might say, well, now, when is the last time I took a break? Uh, when is the last time that I really used a day off? Because um, I'd find out I'd have a few reports to do. And um, I'll have to cut myself on a bit because I would often, um, I'd get stuck into them maybe on a Sunday afternoon. Um you know, um, but at least I'm aware of it. And I'd kind of say, now, is this the way to be going? And the answer is definitely no. Um, so, uh, you know... But uh, that's down to delegating time as well, isn't it? And trying to delegate your day so that I'll I'll do that at that uh, time of the day. Yeah. And then as soon as whatever time comes, I'm finished and I walk away from it. Yeah, and setting priorities. Yeah. Because yeah. Um, I'm, like, I find with myself now, I'm dangerous if I go out to the office and I'd say, um, I'll be 10 minutes and an hour and a half later I come back in. Um, because, you know, you, you get kind of... Uh, there's the next bit to be done and the next bit to be done and then that little bit goes wrong and then there's the next bit and the next thing is like half the noise is gone. And then you lose you lose track of time as well. 
Absolutely, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so you do need to be careful. But it's just, it's to, it's, it's awareness. All of this is awareness. Be self-aware. Be aware. Yeah, as they say in Gestalt therapy, awareness is curative. If you're aware of it, you can do something about it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I know we were talking from an from an, from an employee, uh, an employee, an employee. Make your employer aware. I mean, yeah. they're they're they're, yeah. they're there to look after you yeah. in many cases. Talking okay. about employment, congratulations. Um, Elaine Crowley had some very nice things to say about Patricia She's in her article on the section of the, the examiner um, at the, the weekend. The oh. examiner. Okay, yeah. I've got to leave it there, and I'm not wrapping you up, but I'm up against it on time. <laughs> Listen, have a great Easter. We'll talk next week. Thanks yeah, for that. Yeah. That is uh, Joe. Yeah. Heffernan, 029-76617. Talk tomorrow at 10. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 